Hi there, you're listening to the Speak On It podcast, a program facilitated by Youth Advisory Board members of the Steve Fund. The Steve Fund is one of the leading nonprofit organizations in the United States that promotes the emotional and mental health of students of color. The goal of this podcast is to create a space for students and professionals alike to come together to discuss a plethora of topics relating to mental health and the challenges that Black, Indigenous, and people of color may face during their academic and professional careers. Before we begin our conversation, we would like to leave a disclaimer that this podcast cannot and should not substitute a mental health provider. If you or a loved one need help, please reach out to your primary care provider or the Steve Fund Crisis Hotline, which you can access by texting STEVE to 741-741. Thank you and enjoy. Hi guys, and welcome to another Speak On It podcast with the Steve Fund. My name is Kaylin, and I am one of the co-leads for today's podcast with Danny. And today, our focus, um, our topic is focused on advocacy and programming as a mental health advocate. Hi, I'm Danny. I'm a co-host on this podcast, and I'm taking a gap year between high school and college. Uh, my name is Kaylin, and I am part of the Youth Advisory Board for the Steve Fund. And I live in the Bay Area in California, and I enjoy running marathons. <laughs> Hello everyone, my name is Jenea and I'm currently located in the DC area and I'm a graduate student at George Mason University and I'm doing a master's in social work and as well as in conflict resolution. Hi everybody, my name is Jasmine Guyan. I am 20 years old, I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm approaching my senior year, or my this fall, I'm approaching my senior year at Spelman College I'm an international studies and French double major with a political science minor. So. Okay, so um, our first question would be, what does advocacy mean? Advocacy for me at least means to be passionate about something that can not only benefit you, but benefit society as a whole. To continue to promote just um, your personal ideas, your personal agenda, but for a beneficial reason. And also just to remain passionate about an issue that really stands out to you, that really affects you. So that way it can be um, governed in a different way or changed in a different way by like lawmakers and different government officials. And advocacy to me, um, you know, looks different based on who you are, but I think it's being able to use your platform to advance, you know, a cause I care about, but also, um, knowing when to take a step back to let others speak. So you can advocate for someone, but you can also encourage and empower um, another person to advocate for themselves. So I think um, advocacy really depends and looks different based on, you know, the types of power you have and the types of privilege you have in your environment. Mm-hmm. I like how you mentioned the whole like overstepping thing. How do you know if you're going to like overstep that line where you're sort of, I guess, redirecting the focus of advocating or other topics. Yeah, or stepping back. Yeah. And uh, I guess in what situations would you think it, it's appropriate to step back? Um, yeah, I think uh, it's really important to know how to read the room because, um, and you really look at your environment and then decide whether or not it's good to step up or to step back. So if you are, let's say, 
advocating for a group and that group is not there, um, then you can speak up if you've, you know, studied or educated yourself in regards to that group. However, if some group members are there, then it might be the time for you to step back and to allow those group members to speak for themselves if, that, if that's what they want to do. Um, and I also think being emotionally intelligent and being able to um, just, you know, look at the different situation to know whether to step up or step back. I don't think there's like a, uh, like a perfect formula to doing it. It just all depends on each situation. And I love how you mentioned, like, I guess the importance of taking note of whether that group is represented in that situation or not, because they may not always be. Um, but that reminds me of what it means to be an ally. So what does it mean to be an ally to you guys? So um, for me, being an ally is somebody who's willing to support, who has educated themselves on the specific issue that we're discussing, um, who supports, sees uh, empathizes with our concerns, understands our concerns, and is also passionate about making sure that our the issues that we are passionate about changing or the issues that we want to kind of um, modify, they're also with us in that sense. I feel like it means just to be kind of like a friend to the group if we're talking about different ethnic groups. I do like the part of like being a friend and um, being willing to sit down with people really understand or try to understand. And I also think an ally listens with the attention of understanding what um, the community is talking about. And also an ally um, stands with you, not only during your good time, but also during, your, um, during the difficult times and they advocate for you. Um, they advocate for you, they encourage you to advocate for yourself and they also advocate with you. So do you think a company is becoming an ally when they kind of like put out a statement like we stand with the black community or we stand with the LGBTQ community? Um, do you think that's enough or are there other action steps that they can take to truly be an ally? Um, I, I think, um, you know, it's one thing to put a post there, but I also think be, it has to follow your, your action. I mean, your words have to follow your actions as well. So taking the step to write a letter, um, showing support for, you know, for whatever community is, is really important, but then also working with that community to see what other um, things that organization, that company can do to really um, push for change. Because I don't think just writing a letter um, is enough. Like it definitely um, could create a conversation, um, but after having that conversation is also important to, start writing, what are some other ways we can push for change? When people are just posting, we support Black Lives Matter, we support the LGBTQ community, you know, that's great, that's wonderful. That's what we wanna see. We wanna see as much support on social media as we can. That way to other people who are looking at us from the outside looking in as a community, they'll see that we're supporting. But at the same time, you can just put that in there without following through. I feel like once you feel like you are an ally and once you post these things, you have to follow through. You have to continue to push this issue. You have to continue to post, show people, tell your friends. You know, it all starts with like your small group of friends. And then, of course, you can um, like spread outwardly to different um, like to different groups, like to bigger groups, you know. I like how you said like they have to follow through. And on social media, I guess within like my like social circles, I guess, or like the people that I know, 
Um, some of them are like targeting their friends and just saying like, oh, why did you stop posting about stuff? Like this was not a trend, you know, you had to exactly stuff. But then people are, the other people's argument, they're like saying how, what more can I do? Posting doesn't really do much. And like, they shouldn't be like sort of like attacking them for not posting on social media because they could be doing other things like educating themselves or Mm -hmm. like donating and things like that. And so I guess my question, or I don't think there's a question, but that's just like something I noticed. Like when people get angry when you don't follow through, but sometimes following through is not always like a visual um, representation. No, yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you. I have seen that argument with people before about people not following through and just using this as a trend. But I think that also can get misconstrued very easily. We're not saying that you're just doing this just because, I mean, some people are, I'm not going to lie. Some people are just saying that you're doing this just because, you know, just because it's like the thing that we're talking about the most, but we want you to do it because you want to do it. We want you to do it because you see our point of view, you see the struggles that we're going through and you just simply want to help. And, you know, people are, are saying like, what else can you do besides posting? Just posting also shows that you're an ally or an accomplice or whatever word you want to call it, you know? I mean, of course, there's more that people can do. They can donate. Um, they can go, they can donate to their, um, to Black Lives Matter Foundation. There's tons of like different foundations online. That was the first one that just popped up. And there's also tons of different petitions that literally take three seconds to sign. You just have to sign and then put your email and that's pretty much it. And then also they're just consistently posting like, about the issue i know not everybody wants to mess up like their instagram feed or whatever so they won't use it as like an actual post but just reposting the things that we're talking about are things that concern us and continue to share and just kind of voice your opinion on certain things but even if people don't really know what to do after just a post just educating yourself and then educating those around you is is pushing the issue i mean is already changing the issue because that's all we want to do is just change the perception of how minorities are viewed and and make sure that we all have equality and all have equal rights in the country that we live in. I think that's a great point. I think social media is a great place to start because a lot of people get their news from social media nowadays, especially in our generation. So they're not as likely, I guess, to turn on the TV and watch the news as they are to scroll through their feed, like I guess given free, uh, free five minutes in their day. And then another thing I was thinking about was like certain companies. I, re- I was reading some things about people saying when they make that statement, but it's almost like hypocritical because then you see like how they treat their employees or like where they're sourcing their product from. And it's important to look at all of that, the whole picture. So they're not just saying up front, we stand with you guys. Like we love our customers. Like I saw No Name posted something where one of, I guess it was supposed to be like a mock statement. It was almost like an SNL skit version of like a statement that a company would put out. And it's like, we, we realized that black lives are just as important as money or something like that, which is interesting. Cause I guess if a, if a company is showing you that if they only say something about it now, because we have a lot of power, like all of us do. And all the people of color, all the people who are putting their money, um, buying things from these companies like the dollar means a lot so I saw there was like a week of like not spending and I think some of it passed already but like on this day we're not gonna buy from these companies or on this day we're not gonna buy whatever because like I think your money is really your vote in a capitalist society like the one that we're living in so I think that's another great way supporting black-owned businesses um supporting yeah black authors and like film producers and yeah 
No, yeah, I completely agree with you, Danny. I was just going to like just emphasize how important it is to use your platform because like you said, most people get their news from social media nowadays. Like not everybody's sitting in front of the, at home in front of the TV to watch the news. Um, I even put on my YouTube channel that I just started recently. It's called Jasmine's Journals, but I put Why Do Black Lives Matter? It was meant to not only like shock people just by all the things I had to say and how I personally thought about my testimonies, but it was also to educate people who are actually curious as to why do we even say Black Lives Matter? Because some people just want to genuinely want to know, you know? So I think you're right by saying like social media and everything else is just really important to push this in a positive way. Yeah, and um, I just wanted to add that um, with the companies, some of them just kind of post to kind of like save themselves from like not standing with um, everything that's going on right now in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and a lot of them is just kind of like a performance, like performing on social media. It's like performance advocacy where you're just posting to just make sure that you're, um, you know, to, to, I guess, to not get in trouble. But I do think that um, a lot of people are also doing things outside of the social media platform to support organization that they stand with. And I re a really good quote that I always go back to um, I don't know the author, but it says, some of you are posting on social media, some of you are protesting in the streets, some of you are donating silently, some of you are educating um, themselves, some are having tough conversations with friends and family. A revolution has many lanes. Be kind to yourself and to others who are traveling in the same direction and just keep your foot on the gas. Um, so it's just the idea of you know, advocacy can look different based on who you are and really being able to use your power, your platform and the influence that you have to really push for change. And that can look different um, based on who you are. How would you say educating people on like mental health? Like, how would you go about doing that, especially or not especially, but focusing on like the younger generations, would you also say that um, when it comes to educating, doing it on social media would be more beneficial or would you have like a classroom setting? Or Cause I know with some clubs at my school, um, they meet like twice or like once a month and they would just talk about like whatever they're like club is about so like for the bring change to mind club we talk about like mental health whenever we can and would you say that's just as beneficial if you were to have like some sort of instagram account where you would post stuff about it to educate the people or the students i think one of the most important things in terms of advocating for mental health is to try to remove the stigmas behind it i know in my community the black community there are tons of uh stigmas for mental health like I don't know some people just don't necessarily believe in it's like in psychiatrists or therapists or any clinical physicians that are, are advocating for mental health because they just don't think that it concerns us and I think that in itself I think stems from different racial stigmas or racial um, implications and slave from the time of slavery because we were always seen as being strong we could never show emotions we couldn't cry or anything so I think that's part of the reason why we there's a stigma in my community per se and I feel like one of the best ways to kind of eliminate that stigma is by 
you know, of course, talking to parents, talking to the older generations that's teaching these younger generations, hey, this is not for you, don't cry, like, don't show emotion, like that sort of thing. And then also reinforcing it into like children. If we're talking, if we're targeting the younger population, I'm 20. So the younger population of me is like 10 years old, but I'm sure um, if we're talking to like 10 year, 10 year olds and stuff like that, reinforcing it in the classroom, making, making a safe space. So that way people can talk about their feelings and not feel ashamed about how they're feeling, making the teachers. um, Well, I guess teachers are already open to listening, but just kind of reinforcing that notion that, you know, your teachers are here for you. If you're ever feeling sad, you know, I promise I won't tell your parents that sort of thing, unless you want me to, Um, or unless you're causing like a harm to you or yourself, I mean yourself or others. And just kind of making sure that students know that it's okay, you know, to really speak out. And then, of course, on social media, I feel like that shouldn't be another reinforcement, like making a page about um, mental health for your school, like all your mental health resources for your school individually. And just kind of consistently reinforcing the idea. I think that's one of the biggest things to help eliminate the stigmas. Because if we continue to say that it's okay, more people will actually start to, like, believe it and then willing to open up. And then it will just eliminate the stigmas altogether, I think. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I think that also with when it comes to teachers, I feel like teachers should be educated on how like different races have like different um like their own struggles, especially when it comes to like mental health. Cause I agree I that I've had my fair share of like I guess like crying to teachers sometimes. Like we're in the beginning of junior year when like life was tough. But mm-hmm. I remember two instances. One was with I had like two teachers that I would that I taught, that I, like, broke down to, and one of them was, like, really, like, consoling, and, like, she really helped me, like, she knew what to do, and she knew about, like, mental health, and then yeah. the other one, she didn't know so much, and then she ended up, like, sort of, like, she was, like, oh, I, like, I don't really know what to do, like, do you want to, like, go stand in the hallway, and just till, like, before class starts, and I was, like, sure, I guess, and I was just, like, I didn't know how to, like, react to that, because yeah. there wasn't much I could do, and it wasn't as, like, comforting, and I guess yeah. it kind of made my day a little worse because I wasn't able to, like, relieve, like, any, like, thoughts in my head. But, yeah. yeah, I think actually letting, having a teacher let you know that it's a safe space, like, in their classroom, like, it's really yeah. safe space, not just, like, saying it, but also, like, opening up to their students about exactly how it's okay and, like, it's okay to feel the way that you feel. It would actually really benefit students and pro- probably, mm-hmm. like, and, like, help end the sting- stigma. No, Yeah. I completely agree. I think I think it really all starts in the classroom because that's where children spend majority of their time anyway. Eight hours a day for five days a week, that's where we go. We sit in a classroom all day. We interact with our students. And even the guidance counselors that are at school, like I feel like they should also, because it's hard for like children to really know that it's okay to speak out, especially if something you know, abusive is happening to their home. They've been trained to keep quiet, not to cry about it, you know, don't talk to anybody about it. But the guidance counselors who are at the school also can do, like, more, I guess, to just reinforce that it is okay to speak out, like, despite what your parents say. Because when we're little, all we are looking at for guidance are our parents, really, and other authoritative figures, depending on your family situation, you know. And having another authoritative figure actually be warming and nurturing and open also shows that, like, yeah, this is going to be okay, and I don't have to like shut up and like stop crying and that sort of thing you know um i also think it's really important to change the narrative of mental health in a systemic way so not just in schools but you know across the board so for example within the media and then also within 
communities. So for example, um, in the black community, a lot of people gather and um, come together during church time. So it would be nice to also talk about, you know, maybe mental health during um, moments where people are doing Bible study. And then also um, creating more platforms like maybe writing children books that um, gets children to start having conversations early about sharing their feelings. And then um, in terms of like education, it will be important for teachers to be more culturally competent and also culturally aware so that they know that mental health, um, you know, challenges can look different, whether the child is, um, you know, in a Latinx community or whether the child is in a black community that might look different. So I think it's really important for staff members in schools to be educated on how to respond to student um, life challenges. And then I also think in terms of like the macro perspective, it's really important for us, so for us to change policies and for us to increase funding for schools to hire more social workers and to hire more guidance counselors so that um, there are more resources for students that are having challenges. There are more staff members that are trained to respond to their challenges, whether or not that is happening during the school, but also um, give them resources so that if the challenges are happening outside of the school, they um, have the resources to get help. I was listening to a podcast the other day. It's called Where Should We, Where Should we Begin with Esther Perel? And she's a relationship counselor. So the husband, he tended to shut down emotionally when his wife got mad because, like, I think two of her best friends abandoned her when he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Or there could have been another detail. I don't really remember. But she was very mad at them. Like, after all that she did for them, they kind of just turned their backs on her. And whenever she started talking about it, he, like, kind of shut down. And then she was like, yeah, that's something that, kind of makes me feel like I'm alone in this because he doesn't seem to empathize so then Esther was like okay this is what you say like first step I hear you and then the second step can be like just say what's true to you so like yeah I would be upset if I were in that situation or like yeah that was really bad that like was really sucky of them to do that or whatever um and just like acknowledging it and not feeling like you have to fix it right away I think if people like, they feel like they want to fix it right away, and when it can't be fixed right away, then it's kind of like a stigma is placed on it because they don't know how to help, and they'd rather just kind of push it away or push it off to the side or kind of like, yeah, take their attention away from it. But that doesn't really make it better. I think just learning how to be good listeners and be there for each other, we can all work to help end the stigma and just help make sure people are doing okay, and then they can do the same for us when we're struggling. Yeah, I think that also since we live in a world where we like crave or whatever, like instant gratification, then we want things like right away. And if it doesn't happen, we sort of like just give up. And I think that sort of happens with Danny, what you said, how when people push it aside, there's different audiences when you like talk about ending the stigma for mental health. So how would you end up talking to your parents about it if like they're part of like the older generations and they may not know much about uh, mental health like how would you approach them because I know each family is different so like I'm just curious as to how you would 
tell your parents and like for other students out there? Well, for me, I guess it's kind of important to choose your battles. Like if, I guess if there's something every day, like don't complain about like every little thing that happens. But if you actually have a genuine concern, well, I know my parents were always like, they just wanted to make sure that I had the help that I needed. So like I had certain psychologists and different people. And then I know some parents will just be like, just pray, go to church. Like that's all that you should need. I think that's a, a maybe a common narrative in the black community or just in different communities. Like you just must not be praying hard enough. So that's one thing. Um, but that can work for some people, but maybe not everyone. So I think, um, yeah, sometimes it can be hard. But with my parents, it wasn't very hard because I think they just want to make sure each of their kids kind of has what they need. But sometimes it can be hard finding the right person or the right medication. Um, so you kind of have to stick with it and adjust things. And um, yeah, and then I guess surrendering their trust over to the the professional, like the specialist, like realizing that they, I guess, can't really be in charge of your emotional health anymore 100%. Like when you were little, I guess when you're younger, your problems are a lot simpler. So they could like easily navigate and fix it and then everyone was happy and good again like if they're crying and hungry just give them some food or I mean they provided all the basics and necessities for life and then life tends to get complicated as we get older so it's good to have a professional step in like a non-biased third party and I think being able to be like I'm a good parent even though my kid may need some extra help in this area like that doesn't mean that I'm lacking or not doing something right I think that can sometimes like hurt people's like pride sometimes or they feel like they're not doing enough but just yeah you're you can totally be a great parent and like we live in a complicated crazy world so sometimes people need like someone to talk to about what they're thinking about or what they're going through I'm kind of similar to Danny in that regard both of my parents are psychologists so it was it wasn't really hard for me to talk about my mental health or just the things I was struggling with mentally but I think one of the biggest things to like encourage parents, like if parents are kind of closed minded, I would just, if I was in that family, I probably would just like, just beg my parents just to listen to me, you know, give me five minutes just to explain kind of what I'm feeling. Or if I couldn't even explain what I'm feeling, just ask them to be open minded to at least talking to a professional, just so they can give you some of the insight that I necessarily can't, because sometimes I know when feeling over anxious or just overwhelmed in general your emotions are at a skyrocketed level and it's hard for you to really conceptualize and kind of gather your thoughts and let alone your words to express how you're feeling so I think like maybe just like just telling parents or older generation really just to try to be as open-minded as they can and if they don't want to necessarily hear it from like a child's perspective air quotes around that um maybe they can listen to a professional who's an expert in their field and just kind of understand, try to get them to understand where you're coming from through the professional's voice. I agree, Jasmine. When I was younger, well, my parents have always read parenting books and books about how to like raise confident, healthy kids and all these different books. Um, so I think from the beginning, they were kind of turning their attention to like experts and authors who were sharing a lot of information on these things. And, and other resources that your parents can listen to are like TED Talks, find articles online, there are books to read. And then I think it'll help them realize it's not just you like complaining about something. Like, I guess it's, it makes it yeah. more real for them and it allows them to learn mm -hmm. about it. And that helps to erase the stigma too when we learn yeah. about things and we gain understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also difficult for parents to sometimes acknowledge their like child's 
like feelings or like thoughts because they'll think because I know multiple times I've heard of them say like you're like you're just a kid you're just a teenager like you don't really know like what's out there and stuff and I'm just like yeah I know but like my feelings and my thoughts are still like valid and everything and I know I read this one post or something it was talking about how kids these days are sort of they they don't know how to like accept things or like do things for the I guess, betterment of themselves, I guess. I don't know how to word it. But basically, when children are younger and whenever they say no, like they don't want to do something, then their parents sort of like make that word like invalid to them. Like it doesn't matter if you say no, you still have to do it. And I guess like when kids grow up, when they say no, they just, they have the mindset where like, oh, my no is invalid. So I should just do it even though I don't like it. And they sort of get like, they're sort of like pushovers in a way or they're sometimes their mental health or like their self-care can like plummet and yeah so I think that having like an actual conversation with your parents which can be really hard and teaching them to or telling them how to what do you call it be more accepting of your thoughts and your own opinions is really important to like the development of a child yeah, knowing that your feelings are valid, it's so important for every person to have that. Or it can it can feel, yeah, it can lead to, like, low self-esteem and other problems. And I think it, that reminds me when we were younger and we needed to try, like, all these different vegetables. And, like, at first, my I remember my dad would, like, kind of make it, like, a competition. He'd be like, if you don't eat it, then I'm going to eat it. And then my brother would get so excited. He would just be, like, laughing and screaming. He'd be like, I'm going to eat all of it, so you can't have any of it. And then my mom would just be like, yeah, you better eat it or dad's going to eat it. And then it would just make him think he wanted to eat it. But this works, of course, when he was, like, four and four and five years old but then when we got older it kind of felt like after a while it does kind of feel like I guess what Kayleen was saying like they're just ignoring you like yeah you don't like it eat the broccoli eat the kale yeah we get it but you still need to do it I think that applies to some things but not everything and I think you need to have a conversation so like we were allowed to choose our own sports in high school but after we were forced to swim and do soccer I guess all the way until eighth grade and it helped us learn a lot and we would definitely complain about swimming a lot but I think it was definitely worth it. Like, we did a sport all together. I think that was the last time we all did the same sport. And we just, like, learned, I guess, how to work hard and how to be on a team. And we had a really great team culture, which, I, which is awesome. Um, but, yeah, I think it applies to some things, but not everything. So I guess maybe we can just think of some situations where we think it shouldn't be an automatic just do what you're told. Like, it should be more of a conversation or a question. I was just going to say that I guess some people are afraid to say no. Because, like, I know I have some friends and their parents are telling them to like go down this like career path and they're afraid to say no because if they say no then it completely changes their life and especially with some cultures if you don't follow through with like that specific career path or like for like that family dynamic you're sort of like an outcast in a way so you're kind of forced to go down that path even though like you may not want to so i guess that's one instance and then your other instances, Danny, were just like with vegetables and like, yeah, of course, like you should eat vegetables. It's healthy for you. <laughs> I think it's also really important in like conversations too. I'm just going to say this quick tidbit, but like if you're not used to expressing your emotions or being honest with yourself, like by talking through these things with like your parents or adults, it's going to follow you for the rest of your life. And, you know, unfortunately, I've seen it happen to a lot of my peers where they're just not really accepting responsibility or even just saying like 
I'm sorry. Or, you know, I, I'm just opening themselves up like mentally and just allowing the vulnerability to come out. It's really going to affect them in the long run because like holding something in or keeping something back is like holding your breath. And I just can't imagine like going through life, just consistently holding your breath and not being able to really express your feelings. So I think like starting young by telling like children, it's okay to express their feelings is also really important for their mental health as well. Um, To just add to that, um, to your point about saying no, uh, it's interesting because in my, one of my classes, our professor made us all say no, because we, you know, we were taught at a young age, she always say yes to everything. So I think even if we don't have the opportunity to maybe learn those skills when we're younger, it's also really important to know, to recognize that we can work on those um, patterns and behaviors that we adapted as young age. We can learn, we can work to learn to unlearn them, if that makes sense. And then to just talk about um, how to approach parents, I think it's really important to uh, approach them from a strange perspective. So some parents might enjoy going on long walks and talking to their child that way, or some prefer sitting at dinner and having conversations. So I think it's really important um, to kind of like adapt to the way they understand things and also to speak their language. Because I think at least in the African community, it's really difficult to explain the word trauma, but then um, I was listening to a talk and the lady said one way that she explained it to her peers that are African is by calling it hidden wounds. So um, like it still gets to the point, but then she kind of turned it into a language or into something that they will understand. So here I think like choice of words are very important when we're having conversations. And then also it's important to have families, uh, to have allies in your families. So maybe it's difficult for you to talk to your parents about what you're going through, but maybe you have a cousin or an uncle who would be able to um, translate what you're trying to tell them, you know, try, uh, try to, maybe you'll be able to have a cousin or uncle who'll be able to really express your thoughts to your parents. So um, having an advocate or an ally within your family group is also really important. And that's one way you can start the conversation and also talk to your family members about it. Yeah, I think it really helps to have um, at least in another authoritative figure like in your family to convey it to like, I guess someone of like similar ages. Because I know like in my family, they tend to only listen to the people like their age and like everything, anyone else who's like younger, it's sort of like invalid and like their opinions, unless you're in college and you're like going somewhere, then they'll start to take you seriously. But if you're in high school or anything below, they ignore it. But yeah, I completely agree with having another authoritative figure in their family to like talk to. Yeah, I agree. It could be like, yeah, or a trusted adult. Like I definitely talked to two of my aunts, I think about most things and it's just really great because they kind of see me, I guess, well, not as a peer, they both see me as like a child, but it's, it feels like they don't see me as much as a child of a child as my parents do. Cause like, I guess they're like really, they feel very responsible for me. So like when I'm traveling, like they trust me to make, make the right decisions. But if I'm at home, it kind of feels like they're taking that time to impart all of their wisdom on me at once. So it can definitely feel like a lot. And they just want to make sure that, they do everything they can 
to help me and teach me and guide me. But it's nice to be able to just have a conversation with someone where you can just say how you're feeling and you don't have to worry about being judged for it. Um, so having people like that in your life, I had one host mom that I met through my gap year program and we had conversations like that where she would just kind of be listening most of the time and it didn't feel like she was really telling me what to do. But then afterwards I realized that she had given me like three key points I could walk away with and like put into action. And I just felt better about the whole situation. And it reminded me of when I would talk to my psychologist in high school. So just having people like that in your life, because like different people can play different roles. Like you can go to your parents about some things, but then if you know you have like a trusted aunt, uncle, teacher at school that you know you can talk to about other things, that can be, yeah, that can be really helpful too. Actually, I'm curious about one thing you said, Danny, and I'm not sure if like Jasmine or Eugenia can answer it, but usually whenever I talk to people about like whatever it is, they're never, they're very hesitant to even give like advice in a way and like tell you what you should do. Like, do you know like why that is? Because like, I know I found it really frustrating like, I would be talking about all these things, and then no one would give me, like, advice or suggestions. They would just say, I understand, like, how you feel. Like, why, why do you feel that way? And I don't know. I just got, like, really irritated. I don't know. Maybe that was just me, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I I'm not would sure. probably be no. irritated, too. <laughs> no, no, I get the same way, too. Like, but are you talking about, like, from your peers or, like, your, your like, adult figures? Um. So, like, I guess... Like, my high school psychologist would always do that. And then, like, the guidance counselor would do that. And then, Ugh. yeah. And then, like, the actual psychologist did that. And I was like, bro, I went to, like, an actual one. And, like, you're just telling me the same things like anyone else has told me. And I don't know. I just got, like, pissed a little bit. <laughs> I think I think one of the goals of high school psychologists and guidance counselors that they really try to get you to do is not necessarily tell you what to do, but kind of help you find that decision on your own. Because the last thing you need is somebody directing you like do X, Y, and Z. That's why they provide suggestions on what you should do. Like that's why they're like, maybe have you tried doing this? But even if they're not giving you that much, they probably just don't know what to do. I feel like, like with my peers, when I'm like venting or even like an adult, when I'm venting, they're like, Oh yeah, I understand. And that's just pretty much it. I'm like, Okay, great talk. Like, yeah. <laughs> I just kind of move on from that. But I feel like, yeah, I feel like for professionals, at least, they really try to suggest things for you to do and kind of help you derive that decision from your own self. Yeah. So that's why they're not seem like they're giving you much. And I think that other, but sometimes you really do want advice and I've definitely gotten that too. And it can feel so good. It's like, you need a balance. It's like, sometimes friends will just tell you to do something. So it helps give you some direction. It's like reading a horoscope and it's like, okay, now I know something I should do because they said to do it and that can feel comforting but it should, I think it should always come from like using your intuition and your conscience and they can sometimes help guide you or they can see things that you're doing that you may not see but I think that sometimes I remember one of like one of the first psychologists I went to like she was like you're I don't really see a problem <laughs> like she was like you're just doing everything you're supposed to do you go to school you do your work you do your homework you do sports and activities and you're not really falling down on the job anywhere so I think a lot of people see that you're fulfilling all of society's expectations and then they think that you're you're good so it's kind of like stopping there instead of like going into I guess like more of the emotional needs and things like that like they just see that you're fulfilling all your responsibilities and they don't want to tell you to do anything differently I know that came up for me once yeah for me 
it was like when I was transitioning from high schools and then she told me like, oh, like all of your feelings are valid. Everything is just like a transition phase. And I was like, a transition phase shouldn't last this long. And then she was just giving me like, okay, not like, I don't want to say meaningless, but like somewhat like meaningless to me. She would just tell me like, oh, like, have you looked into like yoga or like drawing or coloring? And I was like, yeah, and I don't really enjoy those things. And like, I don't know. It was, I just found it like irritating to me. Um, one thing that I know that we are taught a lot in social work is um, letting the client have self-determination, which means like being able to let the client decide what they want to do with whatever challenges that they're facing. So we really just hold a space for the client or for the person to think about their thoughts and feelings and kind of how that is, that's affecting their behavior. Um, and um, for example, like if someone came to you and said, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds, it's easy for you to say, well, go work out, change your diet, do this, this, and this. But studies have shown that they actually would probably not follow through with it. Um, whereas if you kind of ask them, like, so why do you want to lose weight? And then they reflect on it and they say, what ways can you, um, what are some steps you can actually take today or in the next month to lose weight? They're more likely to stick with that, with that plan and follow through because they thought about it and it's coming from their perspective instead of like um, coming from someone else. And I know that sometimes when I speak to my parents about something and they give me advice, I end up saying like, don't tell me what to do. Whereas when I um, make a decision on my own, I'm more likely to follow through it because I'm like, I'm deciding to do this. I want to do this. So therefore I will do it. So um, that's why a lot of um, mental health professionals try to let the client try to just hold a space for the client to kind of think through their thoughts and then kind of just serve as a holding space for them to make their own decisions. And that's why we also push for self-determination. Okay. Because I know for me, I guess with my like experiences with it, so basically I was like going through a lot and then I feel like just having that outlet to like talk to someone, I feel like well, maybe it did help me, but I personally feel like it kind of didn't help me because in my family, I'm known as the person like who complains a lot. So everything I say is usually invalid. But whenever I have like the opportunity to like talk to someone, like to skip class and like talk to someone, I would just take it as an opportunity to cry almost. And I feel like with quarantine and everything, I just didn't have like that same outlet and I just realized like oh you know like life isn't that bad and like I learned to deal with things on my own since no one else was giving me advice so I guess for other people out there and like I have like other friends would you say that learning to get through it by yourself would probably like to like let's say to get over depression sometimes or like for like mild depression figuring out how to be like independent on your own will sort of like be more beneficial than talking to someone if they can't really get you their need, like get you the help that you need, like aside from like medication and all that, but just learning how to love her, love like yourself. And basically you can't, your happiness can't really depend on other people. It's basically just what you put into it. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things, you know, for, I would just speak from uh, experience. One of the hardest things, you know, for me was to like kind of just increase my self-esteem you know a lot of the times it had to do with like bullying 
And then just bullying, which kind of made me think worse about myself. And it was just kind of like a vicious, vicious cycle. And to, like, I feel like one of the most important things about depression is to try to remain, is to try to break that vicious cycle. The one that tells you, you can't do it. You won't do it. You're too ugly. You're too this, you're too that, you know, to where you can't be able to do it. But it also does take a lot of self-practice, just like anything, any skill that you want to like acquire in life, it takes a lot of practice. And I feel like trying to break the cycle of depression is definitely one of the hardest things you could really do because you have to really kind of coach yourself, reteach yourself, you know, start with these positive affirmations day by day, every single day, and then increasing them from like one positive affirmation to like 20 positive affirmations, you know, and kind of making it that sort of thing. But like, for depression, I feel like it really takes your own personal journey. And it's also finding the little things that make you happy, even though you may be ridiculed by your family or friends by like saying, oh, why do you like to watch that? Or you like to do that? Or you like to eat that? Like, you know, just take those times out of the day to stop listening to everybody who's criticizing you about everything and focus on yourself, reel in, hone into your emotions, reel into what you know, and then just find those little things that make you like happy that you really enjoy doing, even if not everybody agrees with them, you know, um, and just kind of like move on from, I'm not move on. I just move forward from there. So you would say it's more like a personal journey and like turning to like a high school psychologist, it's probably not going to be as like beneficial. It really, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's like redundant almost because people like high school psychologists can definitely help you through that. I'm not saying like this is all on your own. You have to do this all by yourself, but it does also take a significant amount of your own personal journey to continue to do yourself, to to continue to like help yourself and like put yourself in a positive aspect. Because you know, psychologists can like give you the expert, can really tell you how to like hone into your emotions, can give you all the techniques, you know. But also requires homework. That's just like going to school. You know, you have to learn the lesson from your teacher, and then when you go home, you do the homework, and then you perfect the lesson. So it's kind of like the same thing is what I'm really trying to say. It's kind of like a balance of both. I wouldn't say one is completely like obsolete to the other. You know, both can work in a very beneficial way. <laughs> I also agree that um, it looks different based on who you are. Some people like to just um, go through this journey by themselves and others like to see, uh, you know, mental health professional um, and then also work. But I also think um, actually making the decision to go see a mental health professional is a decision in its own and is um, one way that you're taking a step to work on your depression or to work on your, um, you know, to work on the challenges that you're facing. Because you have a choice to either not to see them or to see them. And also oftentimes, like when you go see a mental health professional, it's maybe like for... 45 minutes um, once a week. So then the rest of the week, you are, you know, you know, like using the toolkit that you learn from that mental health professional and then trying to get through that the remaining of the week. Um, so I think it's doing both, but then also whatever you choose to do in itself is a choice that you're doing. It's a choice that you're making when you're um, seeing a counselor or not seeing a counselor. And even small um, steps like walking outside um, once a day or even showering um, are all activities that you're doing to care for yourself and to, um, you know, make 
yourself feel better or to kind of go through that journey of like um, getting through your depression. And this kind of brought up things that I did in high school to kind of like maintain my mental health. I actually did get into yoga a lot. I got into yoga probably in like fourth grade and then I just continued it. And then I really picked it up, I guess like freshman and sophomore year of high school because it just helped me feel so much better. But that can, yeah, whatever works for you. So like I also started running a lot. I know you run, Kaylin. And then for everyone listening, like if you like to draw, make music, hang out with friends, like I think like what Jasmine said, Pay attention to like what makes you feel good and the people that you feel really good around. And another thing I, I remember we talked about, I think goal setting or, oh yeah. So if you're working through something and you're going through like your mental health journey and you know where you want to go, you will probably have more success if you know where you want to go instead of focusing on how bad it feels right now. Like coming back to like a place where you feel good to an activity where you feel good and then setting goals. And I want to share this one resource. It's called Loop. And it's an acronym for WISH, um, Outcome Obstacle Plan. And I forget the lady who developed it, but it has a YouTube channel and a website, loopmylife.org. And it can pretty much be used for anything, like breaking a bad habit or starting a good habit. Or And I guess the time frame is either 24 hours or a month. And I could go on and on about this, but we'll definitely share this info when the episode comes out. But it's really great because you think about the wish and you think about the best possible outcome and you take time to visualize each thing and then summarize it in like three to five words and put it at the front of your mind. And then you go on to the next letter. So then the next one would be like obstacles. And you think of the main one that would be in your way. And then you think of a plan. So if this obstacle, then I will do this. So you've equipped yourself with like some motivation and a plan of action and something that you can come back to, like when you run into those obstacles, because if you didn't have those obstacles, then you probably would have already done it by now. So it's good to address that. And then it's important to think about the outcome first before you think about the obstacle, because that kind of, I guess that's the positive momentum that you need. So you don't focus on how hard it is, but you focus on where you're going and just keep your eyes on the road ahead of you. And then I guess to transition to our next topic, um, better safe than sorry versus avoiding extreme measures. How to go about it if you see someone struggling or if you know someone struggling with their mental health, I guess, what should you do? How can you step in or kind of intervene maybe indirectly? I guess, what do you guys do? Or if you've done something like this before, like tips on how to, how to make it go well? <laughs> um, I actually did this recently with a friend of mine. We were, she was feeling very overwhelmed, you know, and her anxiety was really getting at her. And so, I don't know, I just kind of took over, like, that nurturing role. I just, you know, sat her down. We went from a completely different space, you know, one that's less stimulating, like, because before there was, like, a lot of music playing and a bunch of people, so that can only enhance her anxiety in, like, a negative way. So we just went to a quiet place, you know, we talked. I, I tried to, you know, console her to say that's right. I mean, it's fine that you're crying, get it all out. Like, don't worry, we can be out here for a long time. I, I basically was like, I'm here for you no matter what. And we can do this on your terms. And I feel like that's also like really important is letting the person know who you see is struggling mentally, that you're going to be there for them, like no matter what, or as frequent as you possibly can. Because of course, you can't completely devote your entire life to helping them. But just letting them know that you're going to be there for them. And that you're waiting, like you're ready to talk when they're ready to talk. Because like I said, sometimes when you're having an anxiety attack or just a panic attack overall, it's really hard for you to um, like vo vocalize your feelings or, or put your thoughts together. 
And um, like, yeah, that was what to say. What, that's pretty much what we did. And she was able to like stop crying as much. You know, I was rubbing her, like rubbing her back and just telling her it's okay. And then when she was able to like kind of get herself, like, I mean, to stop crying so where she could actually speak, um, she was able to tell me like what things were really bothering her and like what specifically was causing her or what triggered her into actually having this anxiety attack. And I was like, you know, I understand where you're coming from. It's not always easy. Uh, it's it, it's easier to understand if you knew the situation, but just for her sake, I'm not going to disclose all of that, all the details. But, um, but yeah, no, I think one of the things, one of the most important things when helping somebody with mental health issues is just to really explain that you're going to be there for them. And if they're having like a, if they're having an attack or they're having one of the, like, I don't want to call them episodes, but if they're having like an attack or one of the um, stressors is triggering them, it should let them know that like, you're fine, you're safe, you know, everything's going to be okay. And just like continue to reiterate that to them until they're able to like really calm themselves out, calm themselves down. Also breathing exercises I find are really, really, really um, good for helping someone too because you know a lot of the times when we panic we're not necessarily breathing we're more hyperventilating and that's not getting enough oxygen to our brain which could allow us to re- re- release like serotonin levels and different hormones that can actually help us calm down and the same thing goes with the hug too if you hug somebody really really tightly um, for some reason like that just triggers a brain to like release like dopamine levels and everything like that and just kind of like calm them down. I love that because ultimately we just just want to feel comforted and like everything's going to be okay. I think that's something we all want to be sure of, but we can never really be a hundred percent sure of it, but we want to feel like we're at least heading in that direction. So I think being there for people and I know when things can get really hard in people's lives, like one of the things that they hold on to is that they have people who care about them. So just knowing that can make all the difference in somebody's life. Yeah, I completely agree with that. But like, but I guess for me, there's like, I, I was talking to someone like, a, like a couple days ago or something and he was telling me how I should be wary or like cautious when I choose to help someone because then they might develop like an emotional attachment and then when like everything is going good and then you start to like I guess like split ways they're m- most likely or more likely to like fall back because they're not like dependent on like their own selves or yeah they're not like independent so like they're depending on someone else for like their emotional stability so then like how would you go about doing that like how do you would you just like let them do it on their own or should you like help them but like not so much yeah it's interesting it's a really good question I guess hmm well I kind of can speak from experience for this because I've had relationships where I became emotionally dependent on the other person or they became emotionally dependent on me and that can be really scary yeah and not good at all because then if you like break up or if you stop talking if you're friends that can feel earth-shattering so you do need to be able to stand on your own two feet and learn from things if someone's pulling away like oh maybe I am being a little bit overbearing so learning how to kind of like <laughs> kind of pull it together <laughs> I guess to say it in a joking manner but yeah I think um being there for someone and then having boundaries because you're trying to like, I guess, show that you're there and show solidarity. And then ultimately it's up to them if they want to get better. Um, that's what people say a lot. People can go to rehab like 20 times and never get better. They have to just make that decision. And they are going to have challenges like everyone does, but it's up to them, like their minds, like they have to, I guess, just decide 
if they're going to make the effort or not. Yeah. You just can't do it for them. Yeah, I think that's, like, really important, like, having, like, boundaries and learning to be so sort of emotionally dependent because, like you said, depending on someone for, like, like emotionally, like, that's, like, and breaking, like, splitting ways, that's really hard to, like, cope with because then it's, like, kind of back to square one and you got to restart with something. <laughs> it's always good to kind of maintain your personal power like and it makes you show up more fully in relationships and just show up more fully to life and just like learning how to do that because it makes it a lot better because then your friendships are richer it's like you don't need them but it just like enhances your life and it's already pretty good and yeah just, I, I feel like I'm almost getting too good at like just hanging out with myself now <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm trying to encourage me to like reach out to your friends so I do that every once in a while and also just being in quarantine it does make it a little bit different but just continuing to go outside of your comfort zone in quarantine, I think is a really cool thing, like taking online classes or reaching out to people, calling your older relatives and making sure they're okay, like things like that. And it's like reaching out and being there for other people too. So it's like a balance. Yeah. Yeah. And to just add to that, I think it's also important to um, have friendships that are not just um, based on trauma. So like, the only time you guys come together or bond is like when you're both going through something. I think it's also important to like, you know, um, have moments where you guys are having fun or you guys are laughing about something. Um, you guys are doing um, other things, only not just focusing on like the bad and not just coming together when things are bad. Um, so it, it goes back again to being able to set boundaries and being able to, um, have a lot of different um, experiences within the friendship and not just focus on like the trauma and the sadness or any of the drama that are happening um, and not just bonding on that, but bonding on other things as well. Yeah. That's a good point. You can almost kind of tell what kind of relationship it is based on when it started and like what you were going through at that time. <laughs> Cause like, I remember, I think there's like a TV show, like the, when people get together during a hard time or because, as the person they really wanted to be with kind of like dumps them or something or they're going through struggles with that person um it can kind of show you they're just doing it to feel better in that moment but ultimately it's not going to be what they really want so yeah being aware of that because I've had both kinds of friendships where I became you can like where you start commiserating and you build the friendship around that versus when you uh, it's like a better time in your life and like that's someone that you're going to want to be friends with for a long time yeah. yeah. Or I guess the first type of relationship, it can transform into the second if you both kind of, I guess, grow and change over time. But yeah, being mindful of that is super important. You don't want to have to be emotionally dependent on anyone because you're already whole and complete as you are. Rosebud and thorn, a rose is something beautiful. A thorn is a pain and a bud is something you're looking forward to. A rose this week was... Wait, what day is it today? Oh, the week just started. I'll do last yeah, week. Yeah, Monday. <laughs> um, so I guess I, I, a rose would be that I got to hang out with my cousin who came back from his university and he stayed with us for like a week. And so it was really fun, like catching up with him and like the whole family. It was really busy though, but it was fun. Um, a thorn this week would be having to figure out college apps and Picking a major, which is hard. And then something that I'm hopeful for this week would be to clean my room because it's kind of messy. <laughs>
Okay, so Rose for me this week was going on a run with my dad for Father's Day. So we used to run all the time. And then like in high school, I guess I just started running at track practice and not as much with him, but I made it a point to like invite him to go. And he can get very intense at times, so it's kind of hilarious. <laughs> but it went really well. I ended up running for a lot longer because I've been building up a lot of stamina. So he kept saying this over and over and a lot of everyone was calling him for Father's Day. So he was so happy. He was like, my daughter outran me by so much. And he was like exaggerating. I was like, oh my gosh. But I think it made him really happy and proud. So that was like one of my roses. And just Father's Day in general, we had a lot of fun. And then let's see, a thorn was probably like today, it was just really hot outside. So and then I was running, I was like sweating. And I was like, okay, I need to start getting up earlier. So that will be my bud. I want to start getting up earlier and working out when it's cooler outside and not suffering. What are you looking forward to? Oh, well, well, that, yeah, that, and then what else am I looking forward to? I think we're going on vacation. We're going to go see our family friends in Vermont. So we're going to do water sports and stuff next week. So I'm excited for that. I guess I can go next. Um, a rose was Father's Day. Um, so my family and I, we all got together, had um, dinner yesterday and hung out together. So that was really nice. A torn is, um, I have a major paper due in a couple of weeks. So just having to sit down and work on it, not looking forward to that. And then something I'm looking forward to, um, I'm looking forward to being done with one of my summer classes um, and just having one less thing to have to worry about throughout the week. them off so rose for me was probably going shopping with my mom last week and not just because you know i like shopping or like buying things it's just like one of the times i really get to spend with my mom and i really enjoy in general so i love doing that with her just like hanging out necessarily and then a thorn oh um that's kind of hard uh, I guess probably that it's raining right now. You know, that's not always, but I kind of like the rain. So it's kind of like not necessarily a huge thorn. It's just a little one because I won't be able to work out um, later on today. And then something that I'm hopeful for is, I guess I'm just hopeful for to see what next week brings and holds. Cause I feel like every week is like something different, you know, and it's only Monday. So we'll see what happens for the rest of the week. Yeah, Trader Joe's. <laughs> I remember one time yes. we were, when we did the live, you were like at Trader Joe's. I love Trader Joe's. Yes. I can't wait till I go back nice. next time. <laughs> I know, but the line at Trader Joe's. The line Joe's is, is crazy so now. All the time. Yeah. It's like out of the door. <laughs> it's worth it for me, though. Once you get in, no, and then yeah. once I get in, I just take my time because I'm like, I waited in that line. Like, I earned this. <laughs> yeah. So, with that said, thank you everyone for joining. And we'll see you on our next episode. Bye. Thank you guys for having us. Thank you guys. And that's all, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. To continue the conversation, check out the Steve Fund website for blog posts and summaries of our podcast. While you're there, feel free to also explore different programs, initiatives, and events that the Steve Fund has coming up. If you would like to leave any future topics or themes for us to discuss, or even a comment, 
feel free to email us at yiv at stevefund.org. Thanks, and until you tune in again, be safe and be well.